everyone. My name is Abby Scott. My name is Mike Krausen. And we are your hosts of the Build Your Legacy podcast, where we're going to talk about all things business, a little bit of fitness. As well as introduce some of the top influencers and marketing people inside the industry. I like to call these people the gurus of what they do. And we'll get to learn about their experiences and how they got to where they are today. So Mike and I are co-founders of Fit Legacy, which is our digital marketing agency, as well as Coffee Over Cardio, which I hope you all have heard about and tried our coffee business. And so today we're going to talk a little bit about our background and how we got here today. So Mike, I'm going to put you in the hot seat first. Why don't you tell us a bit first where you come from and how'd you end up in New York City? Yeah, absolutely. So um, first and foremost, I like to call myself a Southern country boy. Um, I started off as a personal trainer and went to a college at University of North Alabama and actually wanted to be a nurse because I, uh, I thought that the money was good as a nurse anesthetist and uh, quickly realized that 12-hour shifts sucked. And so I quickly changed out of that and I fell in love with bodybuilding. Actually, at the time, I was 19, did my first show. And I had a mentor at the time who was a personal trainer. And so I got into the fitness industry, competed a few times, did a photo shoot, um, really liked the photos, and I guess other people did as well. And I got picked up by a modeling agency in New York City, and I thought, what the hell, I'll just go. And it was a big jump, because growing up in a, a place like Alabama, there is not a lot of opportunity that come about like that. And there's like three people inside your whole city that have ever moved. And so to go to the big city was a big leap or jump. And so when I did that, it was kind of a big deal. And at the same time, I was, I was, I had a friend of mine, um, Frankie Guerra, who pushed me to be somebody more than just, you know, small town country boy. And so started my own Facebook group, started online personal training and went with it. Um, our slogan at the time was dream 13. That's 2013. Um, so I've been doing this quite some time, but I moved to New York City and um, started doing fitness modeling and started bartending and probably actually one of the coolest jobs I've ever had. So let's back up a little bit. Was personal training your first company or were you kind of an entrepreneur from even more of the beginning? Uh, sure. So um, no, Personal training was not my first job. Uh, my first job was working for my father, what I like to call like forced paid labor. So basically what he would do is wake us up every day um, that we weren't at school, weekends. I hated summers because all we did was work. And he had a construction job. So my hands knew where the shovel was oh too well. And um, nothing's better than cheap child labor. So we'd get paid like $6 a day to go work. But it taught me very hard work ethic and the value of a dollar. But I would say my first business was we came home one day and I was like 15. He was like, no more allowance. He was like, I got a job for you. You're going to own your own business and you're going to make good money doing it. But it's just hard work. I was like, great. What's this? Another Saturday? But he, was, he pulled out two splitting maws. And a splitting maw is something that you chop firewood with. So my first business, I guess you would say, me and my little brother, is we chopped and sold firewood. Um, for a living. Um, and it was really good money at the time. But I mean, it's the definition of manual labor, having to chop all these trees. And I can say though, that it did help me get me where I am today, because I gained 20 pounds a summer doing it until I graduated uh, high school. So that would definitely be my first business. Okay, so I will say I've never chopped firewood, and I hope I never have to, just yeah. from what you've told me about <laughs> those I summers. can tell you, I've chopped enough to where I never want to have to chop another piece again. <laughs> okay, and then when you're in New York City, so you are pursuing fitness modeling at the time. Um, if I know anything about the modeling industry, I know it's a lot of auditions and not necessarily a lot of pay up front. Um, so you talked about doing some catering. Um, and then starting up your own personal business again in New York City. Do you want to talk a little bit about kind of that experience and kind of juggling everything? Yeah, absolutely. So back in 2013, Instagram had like just started. So there was no such thing as a online trainer per se or an influence or anything of that nature. 
Um, this is before anybody that you probably follow even had an Instagram. Um, they were probably still teenagers at the time. And so it was magazine covers and digital covers more so than social media. So when I say fitness modeling, it was actually fitness modeling. And I would actually um, go to acting classes and actually try to act and learn how to do so. It was something that just wasn't for me. It just didn't come easy to me. I felt I was a little too rugged. I wasn't the pretty boy with the blonde hair. And uh, I just, I didn't fall in love with it like a lot of the other guys did. And, but fitness was still big to me. And so I took a bartending temp job where I would actually cater big, large parties and actually love doing that because I got to meet some really awesome people. Um, you know, Eli Manning, Ozzy Osbourne, all these, you know, big New Yorkers thought it was really cool at the time. But at the same time, I was actually able to start personal training people inside New York City as well. I actually went and interviewed for a job at um, one of these big gyms like Equinox or whatnot. And I felt like all the work I was doing wasn't worth the pay. And so I want to be able to create more money and more worth my time. You know, I left Alabama making $1,000 a week cash in personal training and just gave that up. Um, working for myself. And so I wasn't able to go back and work for $12 an hour. I just wasn't going to do it. I held myself to a higher standard. So I started doing more online training. And again, this is back in 2013, 2014. And so it was new. Um, so it was more of a, a cutting edge type deal. And I didn't have the social platform, you know, as people do nowadays and it wasn't easy to grow. Um, but it helped pay the bills. Okay, so you're personal training, you're paying your bills in New York City, which we all know isn't an easy feat. No, it's not. So then what happened next? Where did you go? You're obviously, you do a little bit of online training now, I think more for just fun and pleasure, um, but you've obviously kind of changed industries a little bit and you're doing some different things. So what was that next step? How did you get out of personal training and kind of get to where you are today. Sure. So my next step was I was actually, when I was personal training, I was like, how can I add value to what I was selling? And there was a supplement company at the time that I was able to wholesale products. I was able to bundle them together with my product or my service, if you would, online. And I was able to sell that way. And I was doing a lot. And that supplement company actually noticed like, hey, there's a kid, this individual that's buying product and selling it and selling a pretty good amount. And so they reached out to me, and when I had moved up to Jersey City, which is a mile outside Manhattan, they were actually half a mile from where I was at the time, so they were interested in me coming in for an interview, and I did, and started working with them, and my first job there was to teach other personal trainers at the Retro Fitnesses how to sell their product. So you're bundling the supplements with the personal training. And that's where it started, and then it went to more of a social media side and helping align posts for the company so that we're able to market and sell more product. Um, I stayed there about two and a half years, and um, I had fell out of love with that realm. I missed working for myself, and so, and I had stopped growing my personal brand because I felt like I needed to give back to the company more than myself. So I quit there. And actually end up leaving New York altogether and move back to Alabama to pursue that career. Okay, so I'm going to take this as a key learning moment uh, for all of you online trainers who are listening today. Um, so this is back in 2013, 2014. And Mike, who, as he said, um, wasn't a social media influencer or anything like that, but he was making a unique product by bundling not only his service, but adding these supplements. So when he was able to have these conversations with people who were interested in becoming a client, he offered more than just a simple meal plan and workouts. He added something special on top. And with that, it was supplements. So if you are, you know, looking to kind of improve your own business, I think this is a key learning moment to, you know, find how you can add value on top of just the basic structure. Obviously there's a hundred different ways to do that, but I think that's amazing that you did that way back in 2013 um especially and it, and it worked without having you know the massive following yeah absolutely i mean it rolls down to what makes you different than you know the person beside you everybody can be a trainer but what's going to separate you or make you different so okay so you go back to alabama you leave the 
you know, expensive New York bills behind, you go back to Alabama to work on Mike Krausen and who Mike Krausen is going to be, what happens next? Sure. So we moved back to Alabama and I just dived right into the laptop and I started working with some IFBB pros, some relationships I had built by being in the big city and, you know, started working on how they can sell more and how they can start posting on social media. A lot of the stuff I'd learned from the supplement company, you know, because marketing goes across many different platforms. You know, if you can sell supplements, you should be able to sell socks. It's just how you're doing it, not what you're selling. And it all boils down to relationships with the individuals and adding value. I think the biggest problem is uh, I see a company that starts to fail or, or tail off. It's because they care about the efficiency of a person that's clicking, purchasing, and they go about their day instead of the process of learning that individual and making them a long-term customer. So something that's been driving into me today is Andy Frisella said, um, if you don't know Andy Frisella, he's a person to follow and listen to. He said that Amazon, or not Amazon, Harley Davidson does not make the best motorcycle in the world. But if you buy a Harley, you'll never buy another bike again from another brand. And the reason being is because the loyalty is so good inside the company that you're never going to want to leave it. And so that's what you have to do with create with your individuals and all of your clients is have something, whether it's how you reach out to them or that you do random phone calls with them or however it is that you're able to make a connection with them. If you give more than you ask, then you'll have that client long-term. And we all know it's not hard to get clients. It's hard to keep clients. There's a retention of so many days per person that they're going to fall off. And the more people that you can have continue for more months at a time, the more money you're going to make in the long run. That's great advice. Make sure you guys are taking notes. <laughs> I think a lot of our experience has just like some real golden nuggets, I think, across the online training businesses and across e-commerce. Well, it's allowed us to get to where we are today. Yeah, that's um, right. You know, I, I wouldn't feel like us doing this podcast would... If I didn't feel like it would benefit somebody, then I wouldn't waste my time. I've, I feel like a lot of what we're doing has value to it, and it's allowed us to sell coffee to thousands and thousands of people. It's allowed us to help a lot of individuals um, get their businesses started. So it's really important to take consideration your consumer over just the dollar. All right, before we keep just plugging our own stuff, um, let's get back. So you're in Alabama, you're grinding away. You live in Texas today. Um, did you go on any maybe small vacation in California <laughs> or anything like sure. that? Sure. So when I moved to Alabama, I was told by uh, a man that I look up to that it was a mistake. I was bigger than the town. And I didn't really understand what he meant until I went back and started hanging out with my friends again who just didn't think in the big city way anymore. It's the basic nine to five, no ambition, just the same happy hunky-dory life. And I wanted more than that. And so I moved out to Huntington Beach, California, just picked an apartment online, packed up a U-Haul and went. And it was a pretty wild ride. Um, I was used to expensive pricing from New York, so that was an issue for me, but I didn't really have a, um, a job that I was going out there for. I was going out there to learn, going out there to enjoy the beach. I'd been to California for 30 days, two months prior to that. And uh, while I was out there, I was like, I'm going to move. Let's do this. And you also had a wild ride because you literally took the trip with a complete stranger. But we're going to save that story for another day. <laughs> yeah. So when I was out there, got to inter uh, meet a lot of cool people. Um, and at this time, you know, now social media is a big thing. And so... I was able to work with some really high up individuals inside the fitness industry, started like two apparel companies. Um, so I learned a lot about the e-commerce system and um, learning how to network with individuals and really growing a brand. So when you were doing these, uh, building these businesses, these apparel businesses, what specifically were you doing? Were you doing the back end, the marketing? Were you doing the social media? How is that working Sure. So um, at the time, I was building all the websites. I was doing all the designs of the shirts, um, running the social medias, you know, the customer service. It's kind of one of those things to where when you're starting out, I'm sure a lot of you know, 
you don't have a lot of money to spend on employees or other people. And I still say to this day, if you're going to invest money, invest it into marketing, not stuff that you're just not sure how to do. Just figure it out. Find somewhere where you know how to do it, whether it's Google um, or YouTube. friends or YouTube, wherever it may be, you should be able to find everything you need to know how to do it. Just what we lack is ambition and questioning ourselves on how we actually do it. So that's California. Okay. That's California. So then, so it sounds like you move a lot. <laughs> um, you know, did you obviously stay in California? No. How did you get to Texas? No. So I uh, was there six months and a, another marketing guy, a friend of mine who had a very successful business that he'd sold for quite a bit of money, wanted to do uh, marketing for local businesses and other e-commerce businesses and needed help. And so I picked up, moved within like three weeks, broke my lease, moved to Dallas, Texas, got an apartment again, didn't look at it. Um, I, I tend to do that, just jump and go. But not that we're saying that's a good thing or bad thing, <laughs> but, you know, fear will stop you a lot of times. And that was one of the things I didn't want to happen. So I just picked up, moved, and started this marketing company and it was going really well. And then we're like, why don't we just start our own supplement company? And then we started Rye Supplements. I'm sure some of you might have heard it before. Um, as of recent, I actually sold my parts about six or eight months ago. This would be August of 2018, for those who are not current on this. <laughs> and just went full-time into the coffee from there. But um, that is why I moved to Dallas. And which place is your favorite? Uh, I'm a big fan of Huntington Beach. <laughs> Uh, dreams. One day. One day we'll go back. Yeah. One day we'll go back. And for those that are wondering where's the best place to start a business, it's wherever it's the cheapest. <laughs> um, Dallas has great taxes benefits and, you know, yeah, you can't take as great a content, but it's always nice to travel and get content. And that's something that um, I'm sure we'll talk about at some point is content. But it's wherever you can get the cheapest started. So that your overhead doesn't kill you. Again, remember what I said, the money that you're spending into your business needs to go into marketing. So I would actually kind of disagree with that. I feel like you shouldn't be asking where to start a business. The best place to start a business is wherever you are. Um, you know, just start. Yeah, actually, I would don't agree with that. That's actually <laughs> don't really think good about advice. moving. Um you know, there are certainly perks of moving. And if you have something like a product, obviously Mike's right, considering, you know, sales taxes, stuff like that, like that um, aspect of like having a warehouse, obviously those things come into play. But when you're starting, starting in your current home or your current apartment is perfectly okay. Yeah, I think the biggest mistake made or the most money lost is in um, indecision versus long decision. And basically what that means is that the people that keep wondering what to do instead of acting lose more money in the long run than those that make that take action but mess up. So you'll lose more money by not doing anything than actually making a decision and making it wrong because those that make decisions take action and those that take action make money. So I actually had probably one of my deepest best tweets today and I think this goes along <laughs> perfectly where I said a lot of people look for either a checklist of things to do or just look to be told what to do so they can be successful but in reality all you need is work ethic so being able to work hard and put your head down and figure things out especially if you don't know how to do something and then just confidence confidence that you will succeed um, especially with, you know, if you have an unmatched work ethic, nothing will stop you. Those are the two things you need to get started. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, the two rules that I like to give advice on the most are there are two reasons on why you're not accomplishing your goal, whatever it is, whether it's weight loss, whether it's gaining muscle, whether it's starting a business. It's either lack of knowledge or lack of accountability. And so if you don't know how to do it, you don't start. Or if you do start, you're not keeping yourself accountable or somebody else keeping you accountable to what you're trying to do. And so you don't stay on the grind. You lose your drive. I agree. You keep me accountable. Thanks, Mike. <laughs> <laughs> 
All right. So I guess to go back um, to our backgrounds and understanding kind of who we are and why we're giving you advice or feel like we can give you advice um, to get back on track, because these are definitely things uh, we will talk about in future episodes more clearly. You know, we'll get that motivation. We'll give you the tips and advice that we feel necessary, but yeah. just stay back on track so we're not rambling for sure. a podcast. Let's bring it on back to you now. So I've, I've told my around the world story about how I got <laughs> to where I am, but um, some people can be relate as a college athlete, some won't, but tell us a little bit how that works and being coachable at such a, you know, a, a, what I like to feel like a prime time in your life. Yeah. So, um, you know, I feel like every kid plays a lot of sports when they're younger. Um, and I always laugh to myself because there is a very small percentage of people who actually go on to play collegiate level sports. Um, and a lot of that has to do with the process starts so early that you ultimately have to decide when you're like eight or 10 years old um, that you want to play at a high level and you have to dedicate like immense amount of time towards doing that. Um, For me, it's funny. So Mike talked about having like a job uh, at a really young age and I honestly didn't have a job until probably the end of high school and it was only because like I really wanted a job I don't know like I just wanted to feel useful and then I had also gotten hurt (laughs) so I couldn't play for about half of a summer um, in my summer league so (laughs) I like didn't have a job just because I simply didn't have time Um, from the time I was eight years old I played softball year-round a lot of that was traveling because I lived in New Hampshire and if you aren't familiar with New Hampshire, we have snow on the ground um, a lot of times or it's under 40 degrees, so it's not optimal playing weather outside. So I did have to do a lot of traveling um, all over the country, which was super cool, um, but again, just took a lot of time. Um, I started the process literally in middle school of trying to get recruited. Um, it kept me on my game in high school in terms of you know making sure my academics were top form. Um, so that I could get recruited into a high-level uh, academic school as well, because you know softball wasn't going to pay my pay my bills once I graduated. Um, but it gave me just honestly a lot of discipline. Like there are just things that y- you had to do X Y Z in order to get recruited into Division One, and then once you got to Division One, uh, softball for me was an entire other job on top of being a student. So you just had a ton of responsibility uh, given to you from the moment you stepped on campus, from, you know, obviously making sure that you got good grades uh, to just being certain places, uh, performing at high levels across everything. And then if you didn't perform, you were punished, you know, you had to do sprints and stuff like that. So it was a lot of pressure, a lot of responsibility, um, you learned time management, <laughs> like the back of your hand, cause you didn't have any other option. And a lot of that actually set me up for success in terms of when I was applying to internships and stuff like that, because I could speak to that. I was like, you know, I, I was trying to go into finance at the time and I was an economics major, so I didn't have the direct background people needed, but I could tell people like, look, I know how to learn. I know how to manage my time you know, whatever you throw at me, I can, I can do it. And that ended up giving me an internship in, at a pretty big bank. Um, and then from there I was able to get a job after graduation too. So that was, that was nice. (laughs) So that brings me to a really good point. And I'm gonna let you answer this, but do you feel that you wanted to be successful and go on to play college level or to be the best because you were told you needed to, or because you took that self-drive and that want that you want to do because you know some people are great athletes because they listen and some people are great athletes because they want to be great so that's a little bit of a tough question for me um I I loved the game I also sat the bench a lot when I was little so I think and a lot of that just had to do with small town politics my dad wasn't my coach 
So, you know, the coach's daughters always played and their best friends always played and Abby sat on the right side of the bench. Um, so I think a lot of that was just self-motivation. Um, Do you think you were like rubbing in their face, but like, I'm going to show you? And <laughs> so or like, are you a person that no. enjoys to win more than losing? Or like what drives you winning or lo- or the fear of or the hate of losing? Um, love of winning. Or the I hate of love losing? winning. I hate losing, but I'm not like I'm not a jerk about it. I like in the moment I will do anything I can to win or to get on a team. But I mean, if you know if you're the person that like beats me out for a spot, like I'm not like oh that biatch, she beat me, like, you know, good for you, like, I'm a, I'm a great team player, ultimately, um, I, so it's actually funny that you said it, like, if I tried to rub it in their face, but, so I actually left my hometown league, um, and went to just, like, an entire different summer ball league, um, and I finally started playing, like, that's actually when I got my chance, and that was when I was entering middle school, so when I tried out for the middle school team at, in sixth grade, um, I actually ended up making the higher level team which sixth graders like never made and and I started and I started all three years and then same thing happened in in high school and I'm, I was playing against these same girls that I left and again freshman year I made varsity and that rarely ever happened like rarely and I started um and beat out a senior at the time to play um I was also I believe I was the first division one softball player um, and I'm pretty sure, I'm pretty sure I'm the only, or maybe one of two, like still, uh, to come out of, you know, Londonderry High School. Um, so I think in some ways, sure, it's like, haha, like I was a girl that, you know, came out on top, but that ne- it was never, it was never to get back at anyone. It was just simply because I hated failing and, um, you know, I, I hated sitting the bench. Like it, it, I hated not even having the opportunity to prove myself. So I found a way to prove myself and keep going. So this brings me to my next question. It's how does that experience of like hating to lose take you into a grossly male populated industry to where it is a struggle for the female to come on top? And for those you don't know, a woman working on Wall Street, odds are you're coming out. 2% 2% of women in the world, 2% of women in the world make over six figures. And it's just not an easy place for a female to be, especially that's 23, 24 years old, working in a 45 year old male dominant industry. So I want you to speak on that and the ups and downs of that. Okay. So, uh, yes, it's a, it's a still a male dominated industry. Um, what happened or what's happened in just past years, um, the overall, I think, push in our culture to have, you know, more equality across sexes has definitely helped. So I think it's awesome that banks actually purposely try to just even interview more women, which is, which is great, but it is still harder to get the job. Um, I honestly loved it. I think, (laughs) um, I was always someone who was a bit more of a tomboy growing up. Um, I just, I always had more guy friends, so I didn't feel too uncomfortable with that or I didn't feel like singled out. Um, I thought it was just pretty cool, uh, because it did make me stand out really easily. Like it was, you know, in someone's email, if they're getting 300 emails and this, you know, is our real numbers, like our clients would get hundreds and hundreds of emails um, across the industry a day. So if they're getting a hundred mats, a hundred mics, a hundred Scots or whatever, and then they see an Abigail, like immediately that stands out. So I was really able to take that and use that to my advantage um, and just, you know, use it to stand out. But I think I guess I personally didn't feel this, but there are certainly times where, you know, females in our industry definitely weren't taken seriously or maybe they did get a job because they were pretty. Um, But I think if you're aware of that going in, you just have to, you know, make sure that you do use it to your advantage, Um, but make sure that you take a stand and, you know, show your your intelligence and show your work ethic and just kind of prove that, you know, you can hang too or you're, you're better. 
in some way. So you did the Wall Street for a few years. Um, you did the research for about six months or so, right? I did your research for a full year. Full year. June to June. And you came on to launch. Well, first of all, you did some of your own personal training for a while after you competed. Yes. And then you went on to Coffee for Cardio. Tell me a little bit about your experience with competing. For those of you who don't know, I've competed quite a few times. I believe 13 to be exact. Uh, I started again, like I said, when I was like 19. So um, this past show I did in 2018, I said I would come out of retirement because I had competed for five years prior to that. But I know you did your first show in 2018. You did two, actually. Um, did pretty well. Tell us a little about your experience inside something that's fitness-related now. Yes, so competing and then doing kind of the online training was my first experience in the fitness industry. Um, So I was a, like I talked about before, I was a high-level athlete, um, but this is obviously a different kind of athlete. Um, I started bodybuilding after... Basically, when I moved to New York, I got sick. I stopped working out. I made all the excuses in the book, got a little heavy and uncomfortable. And bodybuilding was lifting, which I knew how to do because I did strength and and conditioning training at a very high level because of softball for so many years. So bodybuilding was this lifestyle, you know, that you could look good and and do these trainings. So it was really appealing for me. I was like, okay, I'm going to start this you know, maybe one day I'll do a show, who knows, but at least it'll, you know, help me lose some weight and, you know, get back into working out and doing what I love and being, you know, athletic, whatever. (laughs) So after, I guess, a little over a year of doing that kind of lifting and lifestyle, nutrition, planning, blah, 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 I did finally decide to compete. And I did my first shows in April 2018. I did back-to-back weekends. Um, and I did a 16-week prep. Um, at the time, I, I was, when I was deciding to compete, I was itching to compete. And for someone who, from age four to age 22 played games and always had something where I was super competitive. Um, This was finally something that I could do again. Um, However, the biggest difference was I wasn't on a team. Like I was my own person uh, competing just by myself. There was no teammate involved. It was purely for me. So that was really different. Um, And it was also interesting because it was – you know, you, you stand on stage and you just do your best. And ultimately someone just decides in that second who has the best body. Like you're not standing up next to someone and trying to out burpee them or something like that, which I thrive upon. Um, so that was a little bit different, but it, it really taught me discipline. Um, I had to, again, use my time management skills and kind of figure everything out, but, um, competing, just kind of took me to a new level mentally and knowing control and stuff like that. But first experience in the fitness industry definitely won't be my last. I want to, I want to do more (laughs) when I, when I'm ready, but um, a different way to be competitive. And also it actually introduced me to a lot of people in the industry today. We just became friends because, Hey, they were in prep too. So we became close and um, that opened a lot of doors as well for coffee over cardio. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so shortly after competing, you went on to coffee full time and I'm going to get on a personal level for a second and tell us what made you make the switch from having this, I'm 2% of all females in the world to, you know what? I'm over it. I want to do my own thing. So I honestly wish I could say coffee was thriving it just needed someone full-time which in reality that's a hundred percent true like it is a hundred percent true it needed more than 15 minute bathroom breaks on social media that's what I was doing during the day on top of my job Um, but in reality um, I was I'd fallen out of love uh, with finance and what I was doing at the time. I wasn't in an environment that I could personally thrive in. um, So I needed to get out of that. 
I had been applying probably, I think, for about six months for just other finance positions, but I couldn't find something that my heart was actually into. And I think a lot of that had to do with I was doing coffee over cardio at the same time. And that was really fun for me. Like that was really, really fun for me. So I think, you know, I I had other opportunities and I kind of made excuses of why I shouldn't take them. Um, I remember. (laughs) I had some opportunities to go back to New York City. Um, I I wanted to go to Dallas. I didn't want to be long distance with Mike. Um. But I think, again, it was just like my heart just wasn't in finance anymore. And a lot of that was environment um, that, again, I just wasn't thriving in. So I kind of just let my bonus hit the bank and peaced out. (laughs) I was like, all right, well, coffee needs the attention anyway. Let me let me give it a shot. And and I kind of just had a backup plan. Like I was like in three months, if I'm, you know, not being able to to you know make something happen I can get another job and figure it out but at the time my online training business was making enough for me to make my car payment and buy myself groceries so it kind of you know tightened up my budget a little bit and Mm -hmm. took a big risk yeah and I remember like specifically when you said I'm quitting I literally was like well looks like I'm gonna have to make this happen some way or another and so we actually dove right in, and I remember us building a website in a week of creating new things we had never done before. I haven't done for other clients because I was like, I'm going to put all my resources into this and making it work. And funny enough, as the learning process, I learned how much better she was at at some stuff than me. Organization. Which, <laughs> yeah, which allowed me to take the clients that I already was working with who at much larger platforms – much larger audiences and actually make them even more profitable um, because you brought in organization and more strategy and saw it from a consumer's point of view. I had been in the game so long, I had lost touch of being a consumer. And so. And a lot of that too, I think just speaks to my experience on Wall Street um, in both my sales and my research experience. You had to think of what did your client need from you? It didn't matter your opinion. Ultimately, it was what resources or what information can you give the client? Like, what are they working on? So for me, I just took that same mentality. And for us, our clients were these IFBB pros. Uh, We were helping them run their business. I was like, okay, well, what do they need from us? Or what do their clients need from them? And, you know, how do we strategize around that? And that's something, you know, take yourself and put yourself in your client's shoes. Like, what do they need from you? And that's a great way to, you know, just level up your own business and come up with new ideas. Sure. So you came on, you helped me. Now we've basically started this marketing company together. And funny enough, you've built tons of relationships and people are noticing what you're doing. Coffee has started to explode and you're actually like bringing on more clients than I was at this point. Now it's, you've been able to uh, understand um, more of the, uh, I don't want to say smaller individual, but somebody just starting out, somebody that doesn't have a huge following already. And because you're basically mimicking the, some of the same things that you did to get to where you were. I mean, if you're able to gross a few thousand dollars and only have a thousand followers, I would say that you're doing something correct and basically trying to help your peers and which brings us where we are today bringing the experiences that i've had and which you've had and bring them together and but done a great job doing that so far but coffee i think is what people know you for first and foremost and what do you think made the difference of separating the company from Um, maybe something, anything else, or what makes you wake up in the morning and say, man, I love what I do. So what separates the company? Um, I mean, it's really freaking good coffee. (laughs) Uh, so that definitely helps like having a quality product. Uh, but I think what we, what we've both done to create this culture or this community uh, which is something I said to you from the very beginning when we wanted to start this thing was I was like, I want a platform. Like I was like, that is what this thing needs. 
I want it to be a platform because if I can do it, others can do it too. Or they can, you know, chase their dreams too or chase their addictions. Basically, it was addiction at the time, drinking coffee. Um, So I, I think having that, like people love that. People, you know, I find I have a big following, but you can DM me and I'm going to respond. I'm a still very real person. And I think people appreciate that. They appreciate the openness. They appreciate, you know, me going out of my way to make sure that their order gets settled if they do, you know, DM me or something mm-hmm. like that. And I think that that a lot goes a long way. Like people want to be part of the community. They don't want to, you know, they don't want to just drink good coffee. They want to be involved in the whole thing. I get <laughs> so many messages being like, hey, are you hiring? And I'm like, well, what do you do? And they're like, well, I'm a dental assistant, but I would love to work for your company. And I'm like, what do you want to do? <laughs> I was like, we're, you know, we're still pretty small and we kind of, you know, we have a few employees now, but we all do a little bit of everything. And I mean, it's just amazing for me. It's just, my mind is blown every day of, you know, people who know me and how this has grown. Uh, but I think a lot of that has to do with just the community. Like, Hey, I drink this coffee, you know, the owner's awesome you know I've met x y and z like you should try the coffee too and join the community and their best friend's like yeah I want to join too like that's at least that's how I play it in my head (laughs) (laughs) so I've been an entrepreneur for quite some time um actually the last 10 years I've worked for somebody else for two and a half and I find find that's kind of different compared to most but I've had to deal with a lot over time and over time I've been able to learn and slowly adapt into things like you jumped right into a social media company in the heyday of social media. What are some of the things that you felt like you've had to overcome with that or personally? And maybe like the image of yourself or your company, your friends, or even more so what people thought about what you were doing. Yeah, so <laughs> uh, the, I mean the first thing that I would say that I struggled with just even becoming – my own boss was I've always been someone who's been told what to do and I did it like I you know I went to practice I just had to become a better hitter I you know and I had to figure things out along the way and how to do it but I was always given I guess maybe the ultimate end goal or the task of some sort and when I became an entrepreneur like there's no structure, there's no person telling you what to do or what's next. So I had to like give myself those tasks. And that was really hard at first uh, because I wasn't sure if I was necessarily doing the right thing or I wasn't doing enough or all that. Um, You know, you said, you asked if I had to kind of overcome, you know, just thoughts about myself or what other people thought. Um, I think I've gotten a lot better at this, but I tend to kind of discredit myself. Uh, I, you know, for a living, I studied the best businesses in the world, like Fortune 500 businesses, the best of the best. And I think I compare myself to that. I don't know why I compare myself to the best. Like that's not, you know, we're not at that level yet, but um, I was always a little bit uncertain of, you know, could I do it? And like I mentioned earlier, like you just have to have confidence that you can. And just like I had confidence that I could work on Wall Street, that I could learn if, you know, or figure it out. Like I've had to just put that into this business. And since doing that and really becoming confident that if I don't know how to do something, I can figure it out um, or I can ask for help, whatever it is, like that's made things I guess, accelerate and its success even easier. Um, And it's also just like mentally easier. (laughs) You're just more positive in general about everything. Just a quick background on a little about Abby's mindset. So when we first started talking, I asked questions like, where are you going or what do you plan on doing with your life and where your business? Like, what do you want? What do you want out of life? And she told me that she wanted to be the CEO of a company. I was like, okay. I was like, like what? She goes, I want to be the CEO of Nike. And I was like, well, I said like Nike. Like, I like no, no, no. You said company. Nike. And I was like, what the hell? Who is this? Like, never <laughs> in my mind have I ever thought so big or 
you know, I just wanted to pay my bills and, you know, say make $1,000 a week. And obviously the, some of those have changed. But to have that type of ambition or that thought process of I want to make it big. And it wasn't even a monetary thing. It was you were just want a success. And that was how you're defining success is making it to the top. And, you know, Grant Cardone says it best, 10x. And I think oftentimes you check me because I go, well, this would be a good goal. And you're like, mm, that's good, but it's not great. And you know what they always say, if you shoot for the stars, you land on the moon. Um, because we all settle, no matter what we say, we all settle to some degree. But if you settle above your goal originally because you have this great expectation of yourself or your company or how many clients you want, then that's a good mindset to have. So just so you know just exactly who this girl is, <laughs> she wants to be the CEO of Nike. I do know like the second hand or my dad knows like the number two person at Nike. So Which brings it to your next point. <laughs> it's all about who you know. Yeah, no, but um, actually this actually spiked a memory of mine. And I do want to talk about kind of how I overcame what other thought, what others thought about me and kind of making this transition. Uh, but I want to, do you remember, because I remember this vividly. I remember working, um, studying for some exams in Starbucks uh, when I was still in New York City. So some exams I had to take for my job. Um, and I remember asking you what your biggest fear was in life. And I also asked my dad. And I remember I was crying to my dad on the phone when I asked him what his biggest fear was. And then when he asked me what it was. Do you remember when I asked you that? I don't. You don't? That's okay. You weren't that into me then. But <laughs> um, when he asked me, you know, I, when I was thinking of it and I was really upset. And he asked me, and I think this will explain some of this CEO goals thing. Um, he asked, you know, he said, uh, he, you know, he wanted to make sure that, you know, he had amazing memories and his biggest fear would be not remembering like his family members. And we have some Alzheimer's and stuff like that in our, in our family. So it's a, it's a very legitimate fear, I think. Um, but when he asked me, I said, I feel like I fear that I won't be the absolute best at something. And so I think that's always why I just kept leveling up my goal of myself or I kept raising my own standards. And I'm, I'm not money-driven. Mike will, <laughs> um, you know, agree with this. I am not someone who I'm not like, oh, I want to make $15 billion. Like, no, if my company makes $15 billion and that's what the – um, you know, that's the meaning of success is then fine. Then I guess, thanks, put a number on it. I'll reach it. But for me, it's not about my salary or my money or anything like that. I personally own, I just keep aiming for the next thing. And for me, it was, you know, with softball, I was a very good player. I was a amazing catcher. I wasn't a great hitter. Um, I, couldn't aim to be, I, I was never going to be on the Olympic team, right? And that would have been the best of the best uh, for softball. So I already kind of failed myself at that goal. So for me, it was, all right, career, where are you going to go? Where can you keep going? And being a CEO of something like Nike would be, I'm not sure what would be next. I guess maybe like the president, <laughs> but maybe not. I would never want to be a politician, but um, that's kind of, that's, that's always driven me is just what's the next step. It's, you know, it's easy to talk about athletics, but you know, okay, it was make the varsity team. Now it's become division one. And then it was, you know, work on wall street. Okay. What are the next steps? Like, where do you go from there? And being CEO was, and I was meeting CEOs and they were very successful. So I, I wanted to be one. I was like, yeah, that's, that's the next step. <laughs> And I think a lot of that derived from your parents instilling those that drive and mindset into you. I can tell you, farm boy didn't have that guidance. Um, for me, it was you're going to college, but you're paying for it. And that was the end of the conversation. Like we didn't have the discussion of what's next in life, having the biggest goals. It's make a good living for you and your family. I didn't have that ambition to be the best. So I never shot for the moon. I wouldn't say my parents pushed me to be the best. They were so I mean I I definitely played softball with girls who had parents who forced them to do things. And that was never me. If I wanted to quit, my parents were like, 
if that makes you happy, then okay. But they knew it didn't. Like they, you know, they they encouraged me to do whatever I wanted to become the best version. And I think that's, I just always had their support in doing whatever I wanted to do. Um, my dad wanted me to be a cardiologist. <laughs> just so you know, he like still says like, sure, you don't want to go back to school and be a cardiologist. Yeah. My dad um, just didn't want me to live in the house at the age of 30. <laughs> but, um, no, I'm actually, we should definitely get him on here one day. My dad is a character. Um, redneck to the bone. But I will say, though, that he always said, I want the I want you to do your best. I mean, he even told me at baseball games where I would, like, be mad in center field because I had struck out or something. And he would literally come to me after the game and goes, if you're not going to be 100%, then I don't need to waste my time here because I'm, I'm missing money at work. Yeah. So I had that mentality of, like, if I'm going to show up and watch you, you need to play your absolute best because I'm, I'm sacrificing to be here to make sure that you're doing your best just so you kind of get the background of where I came <laughs> from with my – Hard knock childhood. I think we get my dad on the phone too, or on the on the podcast. Same time. Same time. That would be weird. <laughs> um, the Yankee and the redneck. Oh gosh. <laughs> no, both are named Tom too, which is kind of funny. Both of our dads are named yeah. Tom. So here we are. Everything about you, everything about me. What is the purpose of build your legacy? So for me, I'm going to speak to why I. I wanted to build this. Please do. Um, I've, I think a lot of it is I've always been a team player. Um, so I am, ultimately I thrive off other people's success. I don't see it necessarily as competitive with my own, but it makes me genuinely happy. So when we were starting this marketing business, I knew if so-and-so thrived, then I would thrive. And, um, and when I built my own you know, online training business, you know, that it was great. So if we could take all of this and help other people grow their business, you know, they make more money, they're building their passion, their legacy and whatever they're doing. Um, you know, it, would, it, it just honestly makes me happy. That's why I, that's why I do it. <laughs> um, but I think we put this together because we were working with um, individuals who, who on a smaller scale in terms of presence. Um, but it's for me, I dive in 110% when I work on something. So giving them that individualization to make them, you know, scale up their business was really important. Um, but just with, I think the workload that we have, we couldn't do that in any sort of mass number at a time. Like I could I can take on like five clients max at a time and then I'm, I'm tapped out and I'm very good at being like, no more. Mike is always like, no, let's, let's have more clients. But I am like, no, this is what I can handle and do my a hundred percent best at. Um, so I think we felt kind of limited. So we moved away from doing individuals, uh, to just focus on small businesses just because that was, I guess it's, it's fun for us and it's to be honest, just more more profitable for us as well <laughs> well i think at the same time though a lot of it's just because you know it seemed like every call we're a broken record yeah like we're saying the same things over and over and over and it's like why don't we just make 50 something videos and yeah. create a platform where everybody can learn for a lot cheaper rate so streamline but, streamline this yeah. the same things we have done for you know five or six yeah. people and the they same, all saw success yeah, and it's this, just the building blocks like it's it's literally the, the beginning structure the same proven blueprint to work for those people. But I think the reason that I come up with the idea was because, I mean, being from coast to coast and being in this industry for quite some time, I've got to meet a lot of really cool people inside the bodybuilding world. Not a lot of our maybe barista babes don't care to hear a lot of these guys talk, but I think there's some really cool individuals out there that are really making big splashes and not only in the fitness industry, but starting other companies that are not fitness related but are able to do so. And I want those marketing guys and I want those fitness people to come to the platform and share their experience and how they got to where they were. Now, all these people are inspirations to certain individuals and everybody influences somebody for something. Um, all these people have influenced us in one way or another. Exactly. You know, and I think a big degree is a lot of people... Um, that are in their shoes might not view themselves as an inspiration or influence because you got to remember they started before 
sometimes before Instagram was a thing. They just started posting and the truth came out. And then some of them are late bloomers, like I would probably say you or myself, and been able to build a platform that's already created. So it's a little more different, but been able to share the experiences in and outside. And I feel like the only way you become better is to teach. And that's the ultimate knowing a product. And so it helps us, our clients get better and the people that we are going to interview as well. And some of it's going to be fitness, some of it's going to be business, but all of it is to help whoever's listening be better at what they're doing. You know, and when I got, for example, Guy Cisnino comes on here, he's going to be hard nosed, he's going to be blunt, he's, he's going to give it to you gonna straight. Swear. Probably going to cuss We're a little bit. Going to have to make this adult friendly. <laughs> 18 <only>. plus. <laughs> um, but though, I think the big point of it was, um, you know, I see a lot of the happiness that comes from you helping individuals. And I can build that platform to help you do so. And so that's what we've done so far. And I can't build a website, just so you know. Yeah. I've watched Mike do it. I can do some things in Shopify, but that'll be all, Mike, if well, you need any advice on that. You can watch, you can watch phase one. Yeah, But no, true. a lot of it, I think, is to teach individuals on, you know, the idea of taking that thought process that you have and putting it into play. Um, because when I first started, I didn't, it, somebody had to show me, tell me a lot of the stuff over the past 10 years is learned, but it's the mindset or the thought process, because I know that you've come a long ways in how you look at things. But when you're coming from a business standpoint, you view things differently. When somebody is carrying around a cup of coffee, you go, man, look at the margin on that. Not, Hey, you know, that bet you that coffee's good. It's, Hey, I like that design. <laughs> I like the way that looks. That looks really good. I like that branding. Um, so it's a different process, you know what I mean? And so be able to show people that light and help them basically change their thought process into how can I take my passion to a profit? And another thing, uh, you know, a, a reason why we've built up, you know, this podcast and everything is we do want people to have the resources kind of in one spot, um, but we also want to teach you guys, just how to set yourself up for success long term. You know, we have a 12 week program, but after 12 weeks, we want to make sure that you know how to continue to grow your business, how to do that research, how to strategize so that you don't need us after 12 weeks, that you can know how to do it long term. I mean, obviously, there's going to be you know, ways that you can learn from people by talking to them, by listening to them um, and do that research. And you'll learn that like we'll, you know, set that up for you so you can be successful long term. It always pains me to personally see programs of people like business programs. And you're like, oh, you need this program and then you need this program and then you need this person program. You know, why not have one program that teaches you how to figure out the next four phases in, in your career or in your business. That was important to me. That was really important to me. Yeah, I definitely think that throughout this process that uh, I've watched you uh, get in tune with a lot of your followers. And I'm not going to say fans because somebody... Fans, fans is not the right word. Yeah, I had I listened to somebody one time when I was at an expo and they came up, uh, I was with a big influencer at the time, and they go, man, I'm a big fan. He was like, I'm, he's like, I'm not your fan. He's like, you need to be a fan of two people, God and your parents. And I thought that was really cool that he said that, because, you know, no matter who you look up to, they're still a person. So don't put them on a pedestal. You know, what's that, what's that phrase? Um, work hard until your idols become your rivals, right? So if yeah. somebody else has done it, Gary V, quote unquote, if somebody else has done it, you can too. Yeah. And that's, I don't know. That's a lot of where my like core values in coffee work cardio has been established. But anyway, guys, uh, we're going to wrap it up here. Uh, we have a lot to say. I'm really excited for this podcast. I have, I'll admit I wasn't originally, but we do have a lot to say and I'm really excited um, if you have made it this far, you can get 25% off coffee to help you stay awake for the next podcast mm -hmm. <laughs> using code intro 25, the number two, five intro 25, and that'll save you on some coffee. And I appreciate all you guys listening. You can thank me for forcing Abby to come on and share her 
uh, story and everything with everybody because I know a lot of you ladies um, do look up to everything that she's doing and you inspire to start your own thing. So that being said, this is Build Your Legacy Podcast and thanks for listening. Mm-hmm.